Good morning. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. Another hunting trip with Frances Hammerstrom from Is She Coming Too? Memoirs of a Lady Hunter. Fran and her husband Frederick were born in the early 1900s and became premier biologists here in Wisconsin. They were graduate students studying under Aldo Leopold. He directed them on their path to the central sands to study prairie chickens and sharp-tailed grouse, which were declining as agriculture was advancing. Aldo Leopold was a stickler for excellent writing. He had his students rewrite and write again. This influence is very apparent to me when I read Franz's books. And happily for us, she wrote many books. Fran is well known for her separate work on birds of prey. The title of this chapter is A Sharp-Tailed Hunt in North Dakota. Fran doesn't give us the year for this chapter. I'm guessing it takes place, as the previous chapters have, in the 1930s. We will be with them in the badlands of North Dakota. This is exquisite, vast territory. Franz's description of the landscape evokes the place as if we were there with them. And now a sharp-tailed hunt in North Dakota. The hills of the Badlands are black and bare, and the sky is still dark. Then, with the first glimmer of dawn light, we crawl out of the sleeping bag and quickly put on the jackets which have just served as pillows. Shivering, we pull our boots out from under the sleeping bag, we cannot leave them out in the open lest they become so drenched with dew or so stiff that we can't pull them on. The October night in North Dakota was cold, but we had slept well under the stars. We get the fire going, break the ice in the water can, and soon we hear the coffee pot bubbling. We fry a little bacon, drop some eggs into the pan, toast bread, eat, and wash our few utensils. For this we use a bit too much soap and only two cups of water because water is in short supply. We remembered that old woman in the store who said yes when we asked for water and scolded us when she saw the size of our water can. She had to haul all the water she used over ten miles. Frederick and I do not talk much and we keep our voices low because we hope to hear sharp-tailed grouse. We plan today's hunt. The smoke from our campfire rises straight. The morning is windless, so the birds can hear every sound we make from afar. When the first sunbeam bursts over the hilltops, Frederick and I exchange a contented look. We did pick a good campsite. All around us, the valleys still lie in cold shadow. Frost still sparkles like thousands of diamonds on the grass blades. But here the sun soon warms us right down to our bones. We take a good look at all the hills around us and memorize every peak. One looks like a mushroom. Another tapers high into a sharp point. We are strangers here and need to find our campsite again by nightfall. If we lose our way, we would have to sleep without bedding. Uncomfortable. It is absolutely still all around us, not a sound. Suddenly, in the far distance, we hear a sound like soft laughter. A sharp tail is flying. It was just a minute ago that we squatted peacefully at the fire. Now we've jumped up, guns in hand. High, way high, 
A sharp tail flies past. Six more follow, and they all disappear, curving away behind the mushroom peak. Quickly, we put the fire out with earth and start out. Perhaps the birds have put in high up near the peak, or perhaps they are somewhere in the valley beyond. We have hope that we can find them again, because their flight path was curved when we last saw them. The curve comes just before they're going to land. Sharp tails fly like a question mark, first in a straight line and then in a great curve, as though they wanted to hide their whereabouts. The higher we climb, the more our tension rises. We crawl over a bare, almost grassless area, and a cactus thorn spears my leg. Immediately, I'm all goose flesh. The pain is not great, and the matter is not serious, but nonetheless, we have to stop and get the thorn out. One tends to shoot badly with a cactus thorn in one's leg. We decide to approach the mushroom peak from the west. This will mean that if we get a chance at a shot, we'll have the sun in our eyes, but it will also mean that our long shadows won't spook the grouse before we get within range. We continue around a small ridge, and then we realize that the sharptails can't have put in above us. There's no cover, but there is a really likely cover just below us. They might be there, perhaps under small, bushy oaks, perhaps under the rose thicket, or under the snowberries, which cover part of the hillside like a carpet. We make a long detour in order to sneak up on this likely-looking covert from below. We travel slowly and very softly, careful not to step on any dry weed. The day is already warm, the frost has melted, and we can move soundlessly over the wet grass. Perhaps the sharptails are here. I check to make sure that I've loaded my gun, no missing an opportunity like this one. My man shouts, Mark! Suddenly it seems as though the whole air is full of birds, flying sharptails, lots of them. One is within range. I shoot, and then I shoot again. Missed. Thirty-two sharptails flushed, and we didn't even get one. Crushed, we stand and watch the thirty-two disappear over the next hill with their singular laughter. It was to be expected. If only seven had lurked in that draw, we would probably have connected, but the bigger the flock, the more tumultuous they are. Now we have to find the 32 again. Maybe they have scattered. How to find them again? We climb back up onto the mushroom peak. As far as we can see, there are great bare stretches and peaks, peak after peak, no houses, no people. The flock will probably have gone into some small valley, but how to look for them? Perhaps we'll stumble onto another flock. Frederick says, you see that saddle over there? It makes sort of a bridge between those peaks. Why don't you come in from the south, and I'll come in from the north. Let's meet on that saddle about noon, right? We part. Good luck. Uphill, downhill. I explore every bit of cover carefully and quietly, and then I hurry to the next one. I find night roosts in a carpet of low bushes. Night roosts have an accumulation of pale droppings, and near each roost, sometimes within it, is a single, almost black, cloacal dropping. Cloacal droppings are not passed near day roosts. I come upon some dust baths at the edge of a ravine, 
but there are no sharp tails here now. The heat of daytime is beating down. I take off my jacket and carry it on my back like a pack. And I'm getting hungry. The only food I have with me is an apple that happens to be in my pocket. We left camp so fast to chase after those birds that we didn't even think of food. A shot. I dash uphill to the nearest peak. Perhaps our 32 are in the air. Perhaps I can watch them put in. Panting, I stand on the peak and look all around. The air is so clear that it almost shimmers. I look far over the hills and valleys and off into the blue horizon, but no living creature moves. Only far to the northeast, five horses are galloping uphill. That's probably where Frederick is. Those horses, part tame, part wild, and mostly half wild, are very curious, and often when they hear a shot, they come a-running to see what's up. I can't see the saddle where we're supposed to meet at noon. I keep on hunting, uphill, downhill, sometimes making detours to push into likely cover, but I keep heading mostly east. I try to explore every bit of cover. At this time of day, the sharptails should be somewhere under low bushes or in a ravine. Nothing moves. It is as though I and my shadow, which accompanies me like a dwarf hunter, were the only living beings in this glorious bit of the wide world. I climb one more peak and then I can see our saddle. A deep, steep rift lies before me. I climb down the bare wall. Then I pause to rest on a small shelf. There is petrified wood lying here, wood of an ancient tree. Fragments are strewn like naked bones on the bare gray soil. At last I climb up to the saddle. Just below the crest, there are living, scattered junipers, crooked and torn by the wind. They are old, and if they weren't so ancient, these dark green shapes under the light blue sky would seem like foreign shapes. Perhaps junipers were once common in this landscape now covered with grass. Now there are few trees struggling in ancient ravines. Perhaps the petrified wood that I found was once a living, giant juniper. I lie down in the short grass atop the saddle, and my thoughts drift. I think about all the forces that have had an impact on this land, weather and wind and the hand of man. Perhaps in earlier times there was a forest primeval here, and now it's just grass, nothing but a few thickets and grassland, true sharptail habitat. The forest primeval holds no habitat for sharptails. Before long, it again comes to my attention that I didn't bring food along. A good appetite, indeed sometimes real hunger, is part of a real hunt for us. It seems to us that those who have never known hunger and who do not understand the interrelationships between hunting and hunger can barely grasp and understand hunting. And here comes Frederick. Any luck? I asked eagerly. Yes, he answered, at any rate. I know where five sharptails have put in. I walked up on them, but they flushed out of range so I didn't get a shot. They flew a bit over a mile, and I know almost exactly where they are. Marvelous, but do you realize we forgot lunch? Without a word, Frederick pulls a rabbit out of his pocket. This may not be noble quarry, but we won't go hungry. 
I climb back down to the little junipers to gather some firewood while Frederick skins the rabbit, dresses it out, and cuts it into four pieces. We soon have the fire going and the rabbit meat roasting. Rabbit roast. It has a delicious aroma. Soon a hindquarter is cooked through. I tear it off and taste it. Top notch. We sit together munching rabbit. We look at the high hills and the wide open spaces and consider the poor benighted hunters who eat in cafes and so miss part of hunting. How about dessert? Proudly, I pull my apple out of my pocket. We divide it. After a cigarette, the hunt continues. Now we sneak up on the five sharp tails. It's easier than trying to get close to 32. Frederick knows just where they are, but we don't travel together all the time. We keep separating to explore one nice little bit of cover after another, and sometimes we almost bump into each other to work an enticing thicket thoroughly. We cross a flat, low, open valley and press into a thicket of stunted oaks and bushes, and suddenly we hear sharp tails again, in the air, over our heads, and here we are in the middle of the thicket. It's as though every twig were a hand trying to hang on to my gun. I can't get a shot off, not where I'm standing, but Frederick shoots and doesn't miss. I hear a bird drop on the ground like a stone. He'll find the bird without my help. That bird is dead, so I run out of the thicket to see where the rest go. Off to the north, there are eight. They fly far, far away. When Frederick comes out of the thicket with the first sharp tail of the season, a magnificent young cock. Did you see where the rest went? I shake my head. I only have a rough idea. They went off to the north. By now, we are close to the ravine where the five put in. We move carefully and slowly, and this time it works. The birds tower with flashing, bright underwings. We shoot and shoot again, two drop, and two fly away off to the north. But there ought to be five. We go back into the thicket and stay as still as tiny mice. A light breeze rustles the leaves. There's no other sound. At last it seems that the sharp tail can no longer stand the insecurity of its hiding place. It hears nothing. It sees nothing. So it bursts forth and flies high and fast above me. I shoot, but the bird keeps going. My man says, that was a nice try in a comforting voice, but I hit it. It just isn't dead. Hurry. We run out of the cover together, about 20 yards away. A few breast feathers move in the breeze. There's no other sign. First, we search hurriedly and then methodically, crisscrossing the ground to find the bird. And finally, we succeed. Frederick calls, come, we can catch it. So together, we run our quarry down. We have one more chance to sneak up on sharptails. We follow those birds we watch to go north. We follow uphill and downhill until we come upon a large level terrain, a wheat field. How far away does the farmer live? There is no house in sight, but not far away some sharp tails are up on a rise feasting on wheat left over after the harvest. We use the rise as cover. At first we crawl on all fours and then as we get closer, we slither slowly like snakes. At last we are so close that we see the alert head of a startled sharp tail. We lie absolutely still, scarcely breathing, useless. 
the birds flush wild in the late afternoon golden sunshine and disappear. Now we hunt toward the southwest, for it will soon be sundown. We are surrounded by unfamiliar peaks, but at last, after an hour, we spot our familiar mushroom peak. Before very long, we are back at home, in camp, by our car, and our sleeping bag, golden. The hills stand golden as we make our campfire. We fry one sharp tail in bacon fat, and then in the same frying pan, I make a quick cornbread, thin and crisp like a good pancake. We drink red wine with supper, a most excellent supper. The cold of the night creeps into our camp like a slowly lowered theater curtain. We sit close to the fire, warming our hands and feet. The pale sky turns darker and darker until our mushroom peak has almost disappeared and the stars, seeming oversized, light up the sky. The laughter of flying sharp tails lingers in our memories and the flashing underwings return to our thoughts like an echo. Even the stillness of the night creeps into our thoughts. Nothing seems to stir anymore, and then suddenly, out of the deep silence, it starts up. The evening song of a coyote, the prairie wolf. It starts high, and others chime in, all around our fire, as though hunting dogs were barking and owls were crying, wild and free, high first and then down to the low notes. The song is over. The coyote begins his hunt. We crawl into the sleeping bag under the black starry heavens. And that's the end of the chapter, A Sharptail Hunt in North Dakota. And that's Fran Hammerstrom writing in her book, Is She Coming Too? Memoirs of a Lady Hunter. This is Maggie Jones in Natural Wonders. Thanks so much for listening.